For the last few weeks, I've been having occasional moments of what I would call mild vertigo. And so we're working on figuring out why that is, but it makes it a little difficult to stand and preach. So I'm going to sit and preach for you here this morning. Our text for today is from our gospel reading, which Pastor Micah just read from Luke chapter 24. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Oh, dearest Jesus, we thank you for your means of grace, for your word and sacraments. And we pray that we would never take these great gifts for granted. We thank you for your holy and inspired word, and we pray that you would write its eternal truth upon our hearts this morning. Be with me, the one who dares to preach and teach and proclaim your truth and your grace, and with all of us who are growing in that grace. For we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. What must it have been like to be one of those earliest Christians and followers of Christ and to see the resurrected Christ face to face? What must it have been like for them to be in the very presence of the resurrected Christ and to see him with their eyes and to hear him with their own ears, even to reach out and touch them with their hands? This is our focus over this season of Easter, over the six weeks of this season of Easter, six different encounters with the living, with the resurrected Christ. And in all of those encounters, we see dramatic transformation, the change that took place in their lives. And as we study these stories, these encounters, I pray that we would see how our lives too can be transformed and changed by the living Jesus Christ. We began this last week with Pastor Micah, and we were focused on the story, which I think is fairly well known. Even if you're not a Christian here today, somewhere along the way, you've heard of so-called Doubting Thomas, which we find in John chapter 20. And theologians, as they study the gospel of John, they see it's this story of Thomas, which really is the culmination, it's the climax of the entire gospel according to John. We have his crucifixion, the resurrection, and now Jesus is there in the upper room with the disciples, and there is Thomas, and he has been doubting, 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 and eight days have passed. And Jesus, full of love and grace for Thomas, he says, Thomas, take your finger and place it in the nail marks in my hand. Take your hand and place it in the wound in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then Thomas, so-called doubting Thomas, makes one of the great professions and confessions of who Jesus is, he says, my Lord and my God. And then the climax of that whole gospel is these words that Jesus speaks to him where he says, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And the way that I've always interpreted those words of Christ is to think of it sort of like this. Yes, we are the blessed ones. Because to be very honest, it seems like it would have been pretty easy to have faith in Jesus and to believe in Jesus if we were there and actually saw him alive and actually reached out and touched the wounds in his hands and his side. How easy would it be to believe in Jesus? I mean, they got the royal treatment. They were there. They got to see and hear and touch. And we're the ones who haven't even seen him, and yet we still believe. Yes, we're the blessed ones. In fact, I would say that our faith is, is stronger and greater than the faith of those who actually saw him. That's how I always interpreted that. But notice, Jesus doesn't say, better are those who have not seen and yet believe. He says, blessed are those. And what Jesus means by that, he is saying, as wonderful as a blessing it was to see Jesus and to actually see him face to face, that there are those who will come after that first generation of followers of Christ, the rest of the church for 2,000 years, and all of us here today who will receive an even greater blessing. Oh, it was a blessing to see Jesus face to face to be sure. Jesus is saying, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. There's an even greater blessing. Now that seems counterintuitive. How can that be? We scratch our heads in wonder. What do you mean it's a greater blessing not to have seen Jesus? How do we have a greater blessing today than the people who saw Jesus in the flesh? Well, that is what Jesus is showing us now in Luke chapter 24 in this encounter. He's acting very strange in this text, and he's showing us something here about this greater blessing that we have. We see it here in the story of these two disciples, one named Cleopas, the other is unnamed. We don't know who that person was. They're not one of the part of the 12, but part of the larger 70 or so who were followers and disciples of Christ. And it says they're on their way to a small village named Emmaus, which says was about seven miles from Jerusalem. Now it is, and it takes about 15 to 20 minutes to walk one mile. So we're talking roughly about two hours with the resurrected Christ. A two-hour journey, a two-hour conversation, a two-hour walk with Jesus to Emmaus. Can you imagine what that would be like? And in this two-hour journey with Christ, in this conversation with him, we see a radical change and a transformation take place in these two followers of Christ, these two disciples. Where they start off, it says, very sad. Verse 17 says, they stood still looking sad. They had a great sadness. They had a great sorrow. But then by the end of the story, verse 32, which wasn't a part of our gospel reading for today, they make it to Emmaus. They go into the house. Jesus comes with them. They break bread. And in that moment, Jesus vanishes from their sight. And they say to one another, did not our hearts burn within us while we were with Jesus there on the road? And we see the transformation that took place over these two hours. From sadness to their hearts burning within them, from this sorrow to this, what Pastor Micah talked about last week, this Zoe life, this extraordinary life, the shalom, the peace, the joy. 
Look at that transformation. How can you have that change and transformation in your life? From the sorrows, worries, and fears to a deep peace and joy, your heart's burning within you. What does this story show us or tell us about this greater blessing that we have in the church today? Well, I think the first question that we could ask of the text to answer those questions is why exactly were these two disciples so sad and so full of sorrow and grief they stood still looking sad it says well maybe on the one hand that seems rather obvious why they were sad they had seen Jesus arrested they had seen Jesus beaten he had been crucified nailed to a cross he died they placed his body in the tomb and now three days later the stone is rolled back and his body is missing and it means that all of their hopes and their dreams are dashed all their hopes are gone oh but that requires a deeper diagnosis what were their hopes what were their dreams that led to their sadness? What were they hoping for in Christ? Well, verses 19 and 20 shows us that. They speak about Jesus and they say he was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God. In other words, they saw Jesus as a prophet, but only a prophet. So they don't, for some reason, quite understand fully or exactly still who Jesus is. And then verse 21 says that we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now what does it mean they hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel? Well, it means that their hopes in Christ and their dreams of Christ, that he would redeem Israel, meant they hoped and believed Jesus as this great prophet, as the Messiah, as the Christ was the one who was going to restore Israel to their former greatness. That type of redemption. He was the one who was going to overthrow Rome and their tyranny and restore the golden age of the empire and the kingdom like it was under King David. Maybe Jesus is like a new King David and he's going to expand the boundaries of the kingdom of Israel and oh, won't that be wonderful. But do you see their hopes, what they were looking to for Jesus it wasn't too strong. Their desires weren't too great. Their hopes and their dreams were too small, too limited, too weak. What were they hoping for? 30, 40, 50 years tops of socio-political affluence and wealth and power and maybe a little bit better lives and a little bit more freedom. When Jesus came into the world, not to offer simply an earthly kingdom for 30, 40, 50 years, but an eternal kingdom. Victory over sin and death and the evil one. He conquered death and the grave. Eternal life and eternal joy was what was being offered to them, but their hopes and dreams were too small. And that's what led them to have this sadness and sorrow in their hearts. And I would submit to you the same problem is with us today what we're looking for in life, what we're striving for in life, and even maybe what we're praying to for God for is too small, is too limited. Our hopes are not big enough. 
Why is that? Well, Jesus gives us an even deeper, deeper diagnosis to why their view of him was too small and their hopes and desires were too small. And I would again compare that to us as well in verse 25. He says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. What was their problem? Why were they sad? Why were their dreams too small? It's because they struggled to believe what the prophets had spoken. They were struggling to believe in the word of God. And again, I would submit to you today that that is our fundamental problem in our life. And what is behind our worries, our fears, our anxieties, the sorrows of our life, our limited view of things, is that we too struggle to believe in the word and in the promises of God. Oh, maybe we understand it intellectually and we believe it, and indeed we do have faith, but working what we know to be true down into our hearts, that we, that you are heirs and co-heirs, of the kingdom of God. That despite everything that happens in life, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, we, you are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. The gift of everlasting life, which is yours. Do we really believe that deep down inside? We too struggle to believe. And so then what does Jesus do? What is his answer? And how does this show us the greater blessing that we have in the church today than even those eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ? Well, Jesus proceeds to conduct the greatest Sunday school class ever in the history of the world. The greatest adult Bible study ever in the history of the world. It says, verse 27, that beginning with Moses, and that's the first five books of the Bible, and all of the prophets of the Hebrew Scriptures, Jesus interpreted to them in all of the Scriptures the things concerning himself. He opened up the Word of God, and he opened up their minds to understand the Word of God, and it says, did not our hearts burn within us? Now, some of you might be thinking, Pastor Abel, no offense to you in your little chair that you're sitting in there today. And you're a wonderful preacher and teacher. And Mike is pretty good too. And Nate, you know, he's okay. But it could be the lightheadedness that I'm experiencing right now, Pastor. You guys are pretty good, but if I had two hours with Jesus walking along the road, opening up the scriptures, opening up my mind and heart, absolutely. Would I fear anything else in my life? Would I have any doubts? Absolutely not. To be with Jesus again face to face along the road and have him preaching and teaching from the word for two hours, oh my goodness. Yes. But maybe some of you are remembering the detail that's very important to this story and what Jesus is up to, but I will remind you. Verses 15 and 16. It says that while they, these two disciples, were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, 
but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. They didn't even know that it was Jesus for those entire two hours as they journeyed with him. They didn't even know it was him. In fact, what they actually say is, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the what? The scriptures. Why is Jesus hiding himself? Why is he keeping them from recognizing who he is for this entire time as he's teaching them from the word of God? He's showing to them, he's showing to the church of that day, and he's showing to all of us 2,000 years later the power of the word of God. That what we have in the church today with the Old Testament and the New Testament is a greater blessing than even being face-to-face with Jesus like those earliest Christians. In fact, I'll remind you of the words of Christ from John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, that's the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage, it's for your good that I go away, that I leave your presence physically and return to my heavenly throne. Now again, that's counterintuitive. How could that be better? But again, Jesus is saying there's a greater blessing, which is the Holy Spirit, my my presence within you. And how does the Spirit work? Well, the Spirit can work and blow and move in any way the Spirit wants to, but the normal means, as we say as Lutherans, are the means of grace, God's Word and His sacraments. I think the things, especially if you grew up in the church, you go to church every single Sunday, we can so easily take for granted these precious gifts that we've been given. Now, as we wrap up here, the tomb of Jesus, his tomb has been lost. Oh, I know some of you have traveled to the Holy Land and and they've said this is the tomb and then they go, well, no, maybe this is the tomb and there's a couple of different tombs and maybe there's a third or fourth as well. Whatever the tourism board of Israel says to you, We really don't know for sure the tomb of Jesus was lost. Now that's staggering because the tomb of famous people, even entertainers today, become places of pilgrimage. And the tombs of of saints and the tombs of religious leaders, the founders of one of the great religions of the world, and his tomb has been lost. I mean, this should be a place of pilgrimage, the most holy and special place in all of the earth. Why in the world will those earliest Christians forget where the tomb of Jesus was? Well, maybe you figured it out. It's because they didn't need the tomb of Jesus. Why? Because they had Jesus alive again. They didn't, I mean, his body was there for three days. I mean, that's great, but they had Jesus alive again, and we have Jesus living and active and on the move, working through his holy and inspired word to the blessings of the sacraments which he's given to the church. Now I conclude with this question. 
This is a question that I've asked of you before, but it's good to ask every so often. It's an either-or question. You have to choose. Let's pretend Jesus is right behind the door there leading to the sacristy, and he's waiting there for you. And you have to choose. You can have one hour with Jesus face-to-face. One hour to talk with him. One hour to listen to him. One hour to, to be in his presence. Would you choose that one hour with Jesus or the Bible and the sacraments for the rest of your life? Which would you choose? Now I know, I know which one I'm tempted to choose. I want to see Jesus. Don't you want to see Jesus? But what Jesus is saying to us in his word, it is for your good that I go away. What he's showing us in this encounter on the road to Emmaus, hiding himself and opening up the scriptures, he is saying, I have given to you all that you need. It is my word which will open up your eyes to see who I really am. It is my holy word which will give you a bigger view, greater dreams and hopes. It is my word which will sustain you and keep you in the one true faith unto life everlasting on that day which, yes, you will open your eyes and your faith will be turned into sight. To Christ alone be all the glory. Amen.